Good morning. We are thankful that you are here this day. It turned out to be a bit of a yucky morning with the rain and the weather rolling in a little bit, but we are thankful that you have chosen to be here, thankful for the opportunity to be together, thankful for the opportunity to encourage ourselves with a few moments of worship, with a few moments of fellowship along the way. This morning in our adult class, in adult classroom one there, we had uh, several moments of listing those that we need to pray for. It kind of continued on and on because there are a lot of people that need our prayers. We're missing a lot of folks this morning, even as we're thankful that some have returned and been back with us. And of course, we took just a couple of moments to say uh, that we need to remember our country. There's certainly a lot, in the, even in the last 24 hours, who have been suffering with things that have been happening. We want to pray for them and pray for our country. Pray for our leaders and pray for everyone and try to encourage one another the best we can. This congregation here is a light in the community. It is a light into the world, and we want to continue to do our best to do that. And one way that we do that is by being here together and encouraging one another as we go through this world, as we go through our everyday life, we build one another up by being here on Sundays every time we can and Wednesdays as we can. And we're thankful that you are here this morning. It was probably almost one year ago to the day that hopefully you opened your mailbox and you received a letter that looked like this from our family. There were some little kids there in that picture that aren't so little anymore. We sent those out as a, a way for us to try to get to know you or at least for you to try to get to know us for just a moment. Uh, I was telling someone the other day, Hannah and I were going through that list. We got the, the directory. We started writing out names, and we didn't have a clue who 80% of them were. You know, a few of you we had obviously met and got to know, but, but, you know, who's that? I'm not sure, you know, put the stamp on it, we'll send it, you know, and so on and so forth through the list. But it's funny to look back and to think about that. One year ago, this congregation took a, a big first step, maybe the biggest in the first that we're going to talk about this morning and, and having someone for the first time to stand in this pulpit in just over 33 years and preach as the minister to deliver a sermon as the minister for this congregation. I don't know that I could have asked for a bigger task than to try to fill the shoes of Bill Greer, but at the same time, I don't know that I could have asked for a better situation to find someone as gracious as Bill is to, to work together, to go forward together and trying to continue to help this congregation because that's what we're here for. It's what he did for so many years. It's the role that I wanted to step into was to help the folks of this congregation all of us, to do our best to continue on the path to heaven. I stood here that day looking out on a crowd of strangers, uh, and I began the same way that I would like for us to begin this morning. In fact, going back and finding the PowerPoint, I just used the same PowerPoint, and I wanted to begin with the same first slide, and that was to say thank you. It was a little bit different a year ago, as we didn't really know you, but we were thankful for the opportunity that had been placed before us, but we are thankful still today. I appreciate Charles' prayer there. Uh, for the consideration that you've given to us. Thank you for loving us and accepting us for all the acts of kindness that have been given towards us and done in the last year. The thank yous are really too numerous to even get into this morning in the few moments that we have. We felt so thankful and blessed. Uh, a transition such as this one, it's funny sometimes to think about. It could have had several routes. It may, maybe could have ended in disaster. It could have had lots of issues. There were several ways that it could have gone. But we were thankful for this congregation, and it's been great so far. There was a second thing I said that morning, and some of you may remember, I think it might have been the laugh that I got, but that was that I don't know it all. Uh, and I said it on that morning, and I'm standing here a year later telling you the same thing. Guess what? I don't know it all. You may have known that then, and you probably definitely know it now, but I've learned a lot already 
just even in a year. I've learned a lot about you all. I've learned a lot from you all. The blessing that you've given to me and to my family of the space and time to, to learn and to grow has been very special and something that we will always be thankful for. We may not make it 33 years. We may not make it 10, 5. We don't know what the future holds, but we're thankful for the journey so far and look forward to the time that we can share going forward. If you have your bulletin, you've noticed the title of the lesson is First this morning. As we have thought about in the last few weeks, the completion of a first year for our family, I thought about a lot of firsts that we have been through together. We had our first sermon. I had presented the first sermon. Again, I think it was August 5th was the date, the date, but uh, the 1st of August last year. Presented the first sermon. Uh, we had our first ambulance visit on that same day. Uh, Catherine Isom fell in the kitchen. Uh, some of you may remember, and we had our first uh, ambulance visit. I'll, I'll always remember her son Shipley was standing in front of me in line. Uh, as we were going through the line, I didn't know son, you know, hardly from anybody else, uh, and son's in line, and he kind of moved on, and I was trying to help Campbell or Caroline or somebody through the line, and next thing I know, son's back in front of me, and he says, Catherine's on the floor in the kitchen, you know, and says, okay, well, I guess I better go, go check on her, but she had fallen, and she turned out to be all right. Some of you may remember that same day she had promised to stick her tongue out at me during the first lesson uh, to distract me or to keep me calm, and uh, I didn't notice. Uh, I don't remember noticing. I think she did, but I don't remember noticing that, but she told me that, so uh, then she got all the attention that day by trying to take a spill in the kitchen. We had our first bus trip together. Some of you were not able to go on that, but many of you have been on those type of trips before. It was a little... Um, I'm not sure what the word is exactly, but a little perfect in the fact that we went to see the ark and then that night it flooded on us just about as we pulled into the Shaker village that we stayed in and we were trying to, to get people to all their rooms and it's just coming a downpour. It was, it was quite the trip. We had our first baptisms, even at least again while I've been here. I know there have been many over the years in this building, but we were thankful to get the call from the Steeds that night that they were here and wanted to, to be baptized and thankful to be able to come back and do that. We survived or had our first Christmas extravaganza. I don't know if that's what you call it around here. Uh, I got suckered into that somehow. I don't know if I learned that lesson before next Christmas or not. But uh, the fun time that is shared even in this building among people is something that is enjoyable. We had our first Valentine's dinner. Again, we kind of uh, took that and turned it around a little bit and offered that particular uh, time up to all of those who are uh, senior members of our congregation to try to encourage you again with some fun, laughter, and fellowship with our young people having a chance to be a part of this congregation and serve. We had our first lads trip. The Danleys have been a part of it before and some others may have, but thankful for the Abels and Cirillos and others who have guided in us. We saw success by our young people. It's not about the trophies and the ribbons necessarily, but the encouragement that we can provide to them. We survived our first VBS just even a few weeks ago, uh, working together and trying to encourage our young folks. And some of you were even here for the first on Friday night. I got fired during game night. Now you may wonder why I'm standing here, and I wasn't sure if I was, but this elder sitting down here on the front row stood up and said I was fired, and it might have been because he was being a sore loser, but I don't know. He might, there might have been accusations of cheating, I don't know, but it was announced that I was fired before I could even get up here one year later on Friday night. Um, but we were reminded even on Friday night about how much fun this congregation can have uh, when we enjoy 
when we enjoy the worship, that, that's first and foremost, again, as Charles prayed for us. But the fun that we can share along the way is important. It's the encouragement that we can go through. And we are very, very thankful. And I appreciate you allowing me just a moment this morning. If you've got your Bibles, you can be turning to Matthew chapter 20. You can begin filling in your outline there. But we are going to talk about a few first this morning in connection with the Bible. Because the Bible uses that phrase, actually, or that word a lot. I picked out just three for us this morning. But it's important to consider what the Bible has to say about being first. We're going to say it a few times, but we like to be first. We want to be first, oftentimes. But what does the Bible have to say about that in various contexts? First of all, Matthew chapter 20. It's in actually verse number 16 specifically that Jesus says, So the last will be first. And the first, last. For many are called, but few chosen. If you've got your Bible and you've turned to Matthew chapter 20 there, you may notice on later in this chapter, in verses 20 through 28, that that my Bible has a heading that says, There is greatness in serving. There is greatness in serving. The last shall be first. And Jesus goes on to say there in verses 20 through 28, that the servant shall be the master. Now, if you're looking there, beginning in verse 20, you may recognize or be familiar with the story that's told there. It's not told, I guess, but it's recorded by Matthew for us. But that the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that is James and John, the mother comes to Jesus and wants them to have a a prominent place. She asks the questions there in verse number 21 or says, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your kingdom. Now, we may be quick sometimes to judge and to jump at this mother, but a lot of us, if we're being honest, would be willing to admit that we want the best for our children. We want them to have things. We want them to have a place of respect and honor. And so sometimes we ask for things for them. We ask for them to have a place We want them to have better than we have. And so maybe in a sense, when we look at this, it seems like it's a fair question. Now, when we consider she's asking to the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, it seems maybe a little bit much. But she wants them to have the first place. And Jesus takes the time to point out that the greatness, the first place, comes in those who would serve. And again, as you'll see through some of these points, I I think a lot about this congregation, and I see that in this congregation. There is greatness in serving. That is exemplified by you all day in and day out as you take on various tasks and do various things together. The greatness comes when we serve. We're able to be first when we put ourselves last. But, But one thing to consider in this first point is that we must remember that We must look around us and see it in this congregation, but it can't stay here. It can't be just within these walls. It must get outside of these walls. We must submit ourselves to one another. We must allow people in the world to see the greatness that comes in humility, the greatness that comes when we serve. We have an opportunity to reach out to those who are lost. We have some opportunities to teach them the gospel. We have an opportunity every single day more than likely, to be the right example. I heard a preacher one time pray that we would not pray for opportunities. And I don't think it's a bit of a semantics issue there, but, but we would not pray for opportunities because we have opportunities, but that we would pray for the courage to take advantage of them. 
You may not speak to someone about Jesus every single day, but you have an opportunity to encourage them with your attitude. Remember how Paul explained the same concept. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 8. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Paul, Paul doesn't leave it hanging for us. He doesn't say, hey, be like Christ and leave, then leave it at that. He certainly could. But by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he goes on to explain it to us. He says, have this mind which was in Christ Jesus, which is a mind of humility, which is a mind of submission, which is a mind of being humble in spirit and in action. He's not saying that we have to die on the cross, but that is as far as Jesus was willing to go. What about us? Everybody wants to be first. That's the way it goes in life sometimes. We, we raise our children to want to be first, to want to win, to challenge them. Everybody wants to be first. But as Christians, we cannot think like the world. We cannot be like the world. And this is just one way. We must remember to serve because it is, in, it is the last who shall be first. Number two this morning, you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in verses 1 through 15. As we consider the various places that the Bible discussed this idea first. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in verses 1 through 7, Paul is discussing excellence in giving. When we talk about giving, and when we say that, we're talking about monetarily giving our money back to God, giving to others. Paul is discussing the excellence in giving by the church in Macedonia. And he's commending them as he's writing to the Corinthians about that. And he says in verse number five, and not only as we had hoped, meaning when they gave, not only did they give as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. You know, we see a precedent set here that applies not only to our giving. Yes, we should be giving. We should give of our means. We should give to others, and we should do that in a liberal manner. We had a lesson not too long ago on that word and looking at the idea of conservative or liberal. And one way that we do use that word in a positive context is that we are liberal in our giving but there's a precedent set here that not only should the giving of our money be in that sense, but our giving in general, the giving of ourselves. Do you remember in Romans chapter 12, as Paul talked about that as well, this idea, Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. We talked about this in our youth lectureship yesterday at Greens Lake Road, and I, I talked to the young people about it, and I told them, I know this verse gets used a lot with our young people, but remember what Paul says there, not just to young folks, but to everybody. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable 
service. Now, if we stop there before we go on to verse number two, he talks about this idea of sacrifice, that we are giving. Remember the old law. We've talked a lot about it this year even because our young people studied the book of Exodus and we kind of went through it. But, but they had to give and they gave of their means and they gave of their stuff, if you will, even their animals in a sense of sacrifice. God doesn't require that same thing of us exactly. There's no comment that you've got to give $10 or that you've got to give 10 hours or you've got to give anything like that specifically as there was maybe one lamb or two turtle doves or something like that in the Old Testament. But God still expects sacrifice. The point is that Paul makes here, we're no longer offering that sacrifice. There's no longer the need for the shedding of blood in that sense, but that we are a living sacrifice, which means that it is a daily thing that we have to go through. You remember that in the Old Testament, the sacrifices were to be of the first, of the best. We don't always do that. We hold back maybe our best or our first and we give to others or we give to other people, or we give to our job, or we give to other things. God wants our first. He wants our best. He always has. And when we discuss that, and we see that example there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, those in Macedonia were giving, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. There are some earthly examples that we can tie into when we think about that. What about a father or mother who gives their best or their first to their job? I've been guilty of it before, and maybe you have as well. It's easy when you go spend a majority of the day with those people that you stay a little bit longer, or you get up early not to be with your kids or to, to see them or even to come to services, but you're willing to get up early to get to the job because the job gets your best. The job gets you first. It's a tough situation to be in, but sometimes we find ourselves there and we need to reevaluate. I think about the uh, emergency airplane speech. I, I think I've used that in a lesson before, but, but the comment that you always get there, of course, is if the mask dropped down from above you, that you are to secure your mask first. You can't help others if you're not willing to help yourself. We can't always give to others unless we give first of ourselves to God. Those in Corinth here set that example. But Jesus discussed as well Luke chapter 14 and verses 25 through 33. Luke 14, Jesus talked about counting the cost. He talked about considering what it really means to serve God. Not part of the time, not partially, but totally and completely. Giving our first to God. When we think about the first part of our lives, God should get the first. He should get our best. Then we give to our family. We give to those around us. And this congregation excels in giving. Again, not just monetarily, but in the things that you do in your time and in your effort. May we look to those in Corinth and be reminded that we need to give first to the Lord. And then thirdly this morning, Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33. You could probably quote it. You know that we sing it about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. If you're like me, there is sometimes a never-ending to-do list. It involves any number of things. It's sometimes it's job-related. Sometimes it's family-related. Sometimes it's house-related. And sometimes, for a lot of us, it's even church-related. The things that we have to do, we have a list that never stops, that never ends. But another thing that I said in that very first sermon a year ago was using this passage 
and the idea that we have to keep the main thing the main thing. We have to keep the main thing at the forefront of our minds. We've got to get the tasks done at home. We've got to get the job things done. We've got to get the church things done, the family things done. But first and foremost, for everyone, that counts from the elders to the preacher to the deacons to everyone here this morning and in between, that we seek first the kingdom of God. We sometimes take that as this broad task. That's a, that's a pretty big statement. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you say that? That sounds really hard sometimes. But, but check off what you go through in a day against whether it has anything to do with the kingdom of God or serving him. Picking our clothes, eating our breakfast, traveling around. You say, that, that doesn't mean anything. It's not a big deal. How many things are you doing that are allowing you to seek first the kingdom of God or helping you in that? We have to keep the main thing the main thing. Paul said it as well in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 8. 1 Timothy 4 and verse number 8. This was another passage that we looked at yesterday in our youth day. But it was kind of interesting to consider. As Paul says there, for bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. The thing about it is, is here he's discussing bodily exercise, but I would challenge you this morning, take that out of your mind and fill in the blank. For what profits little? Again, is it our job? Is it our money? Is it our friends? Is it the sports that we participate in or that we even just spend time watching on Saturdays or on TV? What is it? Fill in the blank. For blank profits a little. Bodily exercise can be part of it, but we know that we have to take care of our bodies. We, it's good for us to exercise, so it can't be that we shouldn't exercise. It can't be that we can't have a job. It can't be that we can't have friends. Or It's wrong to watch sports, but we have to remember that blank, the earthly things of this world, profit a little. But godliness is profitable for all things. We obtain godliness, not perfection, but holiness, sanctification, godliness when we seek first the kingdom of God. We have that one task to keep the main thing, the main thing. Matthew said it as well, or it's recorded in Matthew chapter 16 and verses 24 through 27. Matthew 16, 24 through 27, it's Jesus speaking, of course, but he asked that question that we sometimes talk about. For what would it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I challenge you again. What is it that you go through in your daily life that seems to get the first? Is it the job? Is it our recreation? Is it our friends or even our family members? Because it's not that we should ignore those things, but that we seek first. And the real question here is, what is it worth? What is that job worth? What is that friendship worth that you would hold on to that, clutch so tightly to it, and lose your own soul? What is worth losing your soul? Most of us would answer, at least right now in the moment, nothing. There's nothing. But we have to examine our time. We have to examine what's getting our first or our best. It's a difficult question to answer. It takes a lot of introspection, a lot of self-thinking, self-examination. That's exactly what God asks us to do all the time. Examining ourselves that we would be in a good place, that we would be right with him, seeking first his kingdom. 
being last so that we can be first, and of course, even giving of ourselves. If you would this morning, I'd like to ask you to set your Bibles aside for a moment. You can take out your song book. We've got a couple of more minutes in the sermon, but I'd like for you to prepare yourself here. You can put your notes up, and, and we've got one last thing to talk about. One more thing that I said in that very first sermon, and is still true, is that I am not the leader. I said it then, and it was true, and I'll say it this morning, and it's still true. I am not the leader. Our elders are the ones who rule over us. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 17, the Hebrew writer says, Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. But what's interesting, as you know from this congregation, is our elders don't so much rule over us, although that's the way it's phrased, but they do watch for us. They do watch over our souls. Maybe the more important admonition or another important admonition that Paul writes about in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28 is, as he's talking to some elders, and don't forget that, I'm going to make another point, but he's talking to elders. He's called the Ephesian elders to meet him so that he can encourage them. And he's talking to them, and he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. They watch over us. They are overseers of the most important institution in the world, the bride of Christ. In fact, you notice there as you were listening that I think that, again, by inspiration here, Paul is encouraging these elders and he kind of lays it on thick, as we might say. He says that you are overseers and you are to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. We do that sometimes. We're making a point, but we go ahead and lay it on a little thick. He says it's not just the church, but it's the church that Jesus shed his own blood for. That's who you're watching out for. They watch over us, and they are our overseers. I'm not the leader. These men are the leader of our, leaders of our congregations. In just a moment, we are about to extend the Lord's invitation. We do this every time we assemble together for class and for worship. It's a bit of a matter of convenience because we're assembled here together, but it helps reminds us, hopefully, of the importance of this moment, of this song and the time that we take. It's not meant to be something that we just glaze over or pass over like any part of our worship. It's something that we do because it reminds us of the importance of the fact that hopefully every person who walks out those doors leaves at peace with God and with hope in their lives. They have that opportunity. We all do because we extend the opportunity to partake in the Lord's invitation, either by becoming a Christian or making your life right with him. We're talking about first today, and in just a moment, there's about to be another first to take place. One of our elders is going to come forward during the invitation song to help receive anyone that might need to respond. Now, that's not to make light of it or it's not to to make a big deal about it. But I want you to know what is going on. And the reason is a few. Number, the reasons are a few. Number one, you might wonder why someone else is standing up front here and what they're doing. You know, you see Jerry Corbin or Charles Avery, you might go, what's going on? Why are they just standing up there? Well, there's a reason behind it. 
And you'll see this more regularly in the future, whether it's every service or maybe someone is not here and we forget or something, but you'll see it more often in the future. And part of the point is it's a good reminder for us that these are the men who are the leaders of our congregation. We talked about this recently in our men's devotional, but the preacher gets a lot of airtime, so to speak. The preacher's the one that stands up here and talks for almost an hour on Sundays, you know, and teaches class and does the announcements, but the elders... Our elders, our shepherds, are the men who are watching over our souls. These are the men who are leading in the God's prescribed way, and we're thankful that they are willing to do that. Another reason that I would take the time to mention this to you this morning is because I want you to know, as you hopefully know, that these men love you, and they want to watch out for your souls. We would all do well to remember that. It's prayed about, and we kind of say that, but it's true. And one way that they can show us how much they love us it's by taking the opportunity to help serve in this way. Just like any other invitation this morning and going forward, there may be no one that responds, and that's fine. You know that in the past I've tried to call on an elder maybe to pray because, again, I know who has the role. I know who has the responsibility, but they want to take this step, and I think it's a wonderful thing. There will be no real difference in the next few moments, and there will be no real difference in the future. The Lord's invitation is always open, even as it is here at this time. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to become a Christian. We're thankful for this body of people that meets here. We're thankful for this family. And maybe you would like to be a part of it. Not just of the people here at Saudi, but first and foremost, a part of the family of God. It's a wonderful feeling. And we'll be singing in a moment to encourage you if you need to become a Christian. Maybe you're here and you've done that, but in times past or in the recent times, you've wandered away. You've allowed sin to enter your life. And part of the reason we ask for you to respond is in a public sense. We can pray for you and with you. Maybe it's a public sin and we want to go to others on your behalf and tell them that, yes, you've made a change. Maybe it's a private sin. You want to take care of it between you and God. We certainly understand that. But we have an opportunity to sing together and to encourage one another. Maybe you're here. You need to become a Christian. Maybe you need to come back to him. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.